Larry who? Never heard of her. What sort of a man is he? Dick from Bama. A man like any other, but more so. I thought he was dead. This is the Larry Alex Taunton Show. Let's light this candle. Welcome into the Larry Alex Taunton Show. I am Amy Beth Shaver. Um, I have a question. All right. Don't lay it on me. Is it normal for turtles to be in the middle of the road as <laughs> <laughs> you make your way to the, um, do we call this the palace, the lake area? I don't even know. But is that normal? You Can know, I expect that? I, it's funny you mentioned turtles because I was noticing from my desk yesterday um, something that kept popping up out in the lake. So I, I keep binoculars on my desk. And sure enough, it was a big, it was a big snapping turtle. So I haven't seen any on the road lately, but it's not, it's not wholly unusual okay. in the rural South. I mean, I didn't stop for it, <laughs> but I wanted to. I love turtles. So I thought, you know, I need to ask Larry. So, like, so you hit it. What? Well, that's, that's strong. Did you straddle it or well, did, did you I, hear the actual crunch? I, I may have gone around it. Okay. <laughs> but I did see it and I needed to know if this was normal. Okay. Well, it does happen, but you know, if you get that, if you get that really, you know, nasty crunch sound, it's probably because you hit it. Okay. Well, we're we're just not going to talk about that. <laughs> That'd be fine. All right. Now, listen. Seriously, this week, get your newsletter, and I see that your byline is Mar-a-Lago, mm-hmm. which, if you don't know you, this is ridiculous that this is your your byline. What is it like when you're driving up? down the drive in your Dodge Ram, obviously. I mean, because why, did you drive that we, entire we, way? You know, we did because uh, Mar-a-Lago, you know, um, President Trump's, uh, what, what should we call it? I mean, I don't, I don't even know if that's his primary home. I guess it is, but it's, uh, it's a, a resort, an estate, really impressive in uh, Palm Beach. And uh, I have to do so much international flying that I have a rule that anything less than 10 hours, I will drive it. And the reason for that is because, I mean, depending on where it is, because, I mean, if it's to D.C., I'll drive D.C. That's not too bad. Um, If it's to New York, which is, of course, more than 10 hours, but I don't want to deal with the traffic and so on, so definitely fly. But, you know, if you think about it, going to Palm Beach, I would probably have to go through, I'd have to go through Atlanta, Mm -hmm. I won't get a direct flight out of Birmingham. I got to be at Birmingham airport two hours in advance. And then I fly to Atlanta. Then I'll have a layover there. I'll spend, you know, eight to 10 hours probably getting there. And then I have to rent a car when I get there. And this is a nice, easy drive. So Lori and I decided to just, uh, to just go ahead and drive it. And it's funny that you mentioned the Ram because um, when, <laughs> when you're pulling into Mar-a-Lago or pulling out, you know, you're, you're, you have to be approved by the Secret Service. And I was invited with one guest. Obviously, my guest was my wife. And um, you know, you can't change guests. If she gets sick at the last second, you can't say, and this is true of a White House function or something okay. like that, right. that you can't change because they've already approved whoever that person is. Uh, the Secret Service has already done their, their background check. So you have to be approved going in. And there's in front of me, there is... 
you know, one of these, this isn't the, this isn't the entry level Mercedes. This is the AMG, oh, you know, yes. they've really expensive, big, um, Mercedes. And then right behind me is a Porsche Cayenne. And here I am in a Dodge Ram four by four bug splattered on my windshield, a little mud, you know, in the wheel wells. Bring Alabama with you. Guys. There we go. And, uh, you know, uh, I was funny because when I was leaving, when we were, you know, there are hundreds of people, you know, standing, I don't know, maybe 500, 600 people attended this event and, you know, maybe a hundred or more standing there waiting for their car. When mine pulls up, I turned to the crowd and I said, you know, eat your heart out all of you people who are driving Mercedes and BMWs because she's all American and they, they just erupted, you know, with, with, <laughs> with laughter. Good. So I thought, you know, I'd have, have a little bit of fun with that, but yeah, we did drive down there. It was great. Um, the event was wonderful. Um, Mar-a-Lago, amazing. So if you are, is it massive? I mean, is it a massive estate slash club? Um, you know, I, I probably have to look at Google earth or, you know, Apple maps or something to get a feel for that. It felt very big, but you never, you never have a, a lot of line of sight, you okay. know, because you're, you are going through a tunnel or you're going, um, you know, from one portion to one building into another. Uh, it felt like it was sprawling, like it just kept going. And then where we, we brought the vehicles in, it turns out that, that they brought the vehicles to another place when we were leaving. So it felt like it just kept going and going. Uh, how big is it? How big it is? I, I don't know, but the real estate has to be worth an absolute fortune. But, you know, we are gathered around you know, um, a pool. Mm -hmm. I, I nearly knocked Rudy Giuliani, I have to say, into that pool. And, and, and not, by the way, because he offended <laughs> me and I was deliberately planning to do this. Right. It is because um, Lori and I were standing for a photo and he went to slip right behind me. You know, there were only just a few feet, you know, just behind me. And he's he's kind of a little guy. And uh, and I'm, I'm a fairly big guy. And then add to that, he's somewhat stooped. So when I turn, I don't really even see him because he's below my line of sight. And then we, we, we bump. And I thought, I just nearly put the former mayor of New York straight into Trump's pool, um, which probably would have made headlines. Um, but anyway, um, anyway, we're gathered around that pool and there's all kinds of, you know, different stations to get, you know, wine or champagne or water or whatever. And then different kind of food that's available. It's a beautiful place. It was beautiful weather. Mm -hmm. And they're all these beautiful people, you know, in their tuxedos and the ladies. And what, what do you call them? I always, I always confuse them. Is it an evening gown or a nightgown? It's an evening gown. An evening gown. <laughs> it's an evening gown. There we go. The <laughs> evening gown that they're wearing that looks, looks very beautiful. And I guess they weren't wearing nightgowns. <laughs> and um, that they all look very, very formal. And, and you're going, hey, that's the governor of so-and-so. Hey, that's, uh, you know, um, the press secretary. That is, you know, so it, it was interesting. Yeah. So what were you doing there? I was there for the film, the release of the premiere, um, the red carpet premiere of Dinesh D'Souza's new film, uh, 2,000 Mules. How was it? It's good. Um, Dinesh has become quite a filmmaker. You know, he had a, um, a film about Obama, you know, called 2016 that was quite good. Um, he's, he's learned to do this very well. And for those who don't know who Dinesh D'Souza is, Dinesh is a 
He's a friend of mine. I've known Dinesh for for quite some time, and uh, we've we've hung out together uh, a, a good bit over the years. And um, Dinesh, this this is what he is really really good at. Dinesh, if you're watching, if you're listening, um, I don't I hope you don't mind when I say this. He he. he had a foray into the, the the Christian theological realm for a time. Uh, that's not where he belongs. And by that, I don't mean Dinesh isn't a, a Christian or that you don't have interesting things to say on that topic. Uh, you know, he was doing a lot of debates, you know, with atheists, um, right. Christopher Hitchens and so on, um, which I chaired. Um, but this is, this is Dinesh's... Um, wheelhouse. Uh, I'll give you an example. Some years ago, he calls me and he tells me that he has a book that he's working on about Obama. And um, can he share it with me? And I'm, yeah, sure. So he says, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be in Birmingham. Can we get together? And I'll lay out for you the whole thesis. I was in awe honestly, is he laid out the thesis of the book that became The Roots of Obama's Rage. Wow. And um, that, I'm trying to remember the, the I think the, the Roots of Obama's Rage might be the subtitle, but anyway, became a mega bestseller. Um, the Obama administration had a um, press conference just to denounce the book, to say the book isn't true, it's not true at all. And I thought, Dinesh... It, he, you know, he's a political operator who gets this. He really does. And he was, um, he was basically making the argument while others were saying at that time to, um, that he's a socialist, you know, that Obama's a socialist. Or the argument was, no, Obama is a, uh, you know, he's a Marxist. And Dinesh comes along and demolishes all of these different narratives. And he says, He's an anti-colonialist, just like his father. Mm. That's what he is. And he, he says, think about, you know, think about the, his very first act. Can you think of his first act as president of the United States? It's about a guy that we were just talking about off air, Churchill. Oh, oh yes, he gave back the bust. He gave back the bust of Winston Churchill. He said that everybody was having a hard time understanding that. What, what was that all about? Right. And he says, because he sees Churchill as a colonizer, he sees him as an imperialist, don't want him, you guys take him back, not interested. And so uh, this, this is what Dinesh is good at. So when it comes to a film like 2,000 Mules, this is, this is where he belongs. It's a genius film. So I know the premise, but what, what's the premise behind this and do you think that he accomplished his purpose that he probably, I mean, I obviously think he did, but what's the premise of the movie? Um, the, the premise is, deals with the 2020 presidential election and massive voter fraud. So Dinesh is alleging, not that there's a little bit of, of election fraud. And by the way, I, for many, many years, was one of those people who just believed our elections, they're sacrosanct, there's, you know, Democrats, Republicans, were all committed to voter integrity, the poll watchers make sure this stuff doesn't happen. And then I'll never forget um, former Alabama governor, Albert Brewer, who was a professor of mine, um, uh, he's telling me that in, I think it was the the 60... 
and 68 elections, but he was talking about LG, LBJ and, um, and JFK. And he said there was massive voter fraud in, in uh, Cook County, uh, in Illinois, Chicago, and also in Texas, Louisiana, a variety of other places. And bear in mind, Albert Brewer was a lifelong Democrat. And he said Democrats were cheating like crazy. And he said they were throwing whole voter machines into um, ponds, rivers, lakes, this kind of thing. So that is that that demolished my my thought that this kind of stuff never happened. Dinesh is arguing that it's still happening, but it's now it's a machine. It's extremely well organized. And so the the name Two Thousand Mules, what that comes from is. Um, uh, True the Vote, which is a, a, a nonprofit organization d- dedicated to election integrity, they—it's really interesting what they do. They do a lot of a lot of it is statistical analyses, and they do it all over the world in elections because they're able to. And I'm—I'm I'm kind of these aren't necessarily the examples they would use, but it, it looks something like this. They can, by looking at previous elections, by looking at voter registration, by looking at previous voter trends, they flag different statistical anomalies where they're going, okay, it's, it's kind of odd that last time um, this, this uh, county voted overwhelmingly X, and this time they're voting over, overwhelmingly in the opposite direction. Flag that. That looks a little weird. Um, or they're thinking... Um, you know, there's more people voting here than there are registered voters, you know, stuff like that. Well, what, what they started noticing here, um, was they started using the language of, you know, drug mules, drug traffickers is these were people, they called them ballot traffickers and what ballot traffickers are, they're people who are going to, let's say primarily very often that they're, they're primarily poor in Hispanic districts the elderly. Some think, by the way, that the, the um, you know, in New York, you know, confining the elderly to nursing homes, it was to ballot traffic. Now, I don't know if that's the case or not. That's a theory, but it's a theory that makes sense. Meaning, ma'am, if you'll vote here, we'll take your ballot for you. Right. And now there are laws, um, ballot harvesting in some states is legal. Ballot trafficking is a different thing. And by that, we mean that I pay you for your vote um, and then I deliver it, meaning that, you know, for instance, in the state of Alabama, um, a family member or a caregiver, an official caregiver can deliver your vote for you. But a, a, you know, I can't take your vote. I can't go deliver your vote. Amy, I'll do it. I'm a a buddy of yours. I'll, I'll, I'll go handle this. You cannot do that. Furthermore, you cannot pay or in any way um, compensate someone for a vote. And they were doing this in a very big way. And then they're taking those ballots. Those ballots then go, this, this was all being done by Democrat um, 501c3s, nonprofits. Those are then placed into, those ballots are then placed into uh, duffel bags or boxes. And then the mules come along and they pick them up and they take them to a variety of ballot boxes. And you may say, well, how do they prove this? The way they prove it is genius and slightly frightening. It's kind of what we were talking about a little bit um, this morning. Your phone has what's called a UDID. It means Unique Device Identification Mm -hmm. Identifier. 
um, advertisers use it all the time. It's why they want your phone number. You know, I mean, just the other day, I'm getting, I'm right there at the restaurant at Jim and Nick's, and they're about to see me, and they say, can we get your number? And why? I mean, you going to text me some barbecue? I mean, (laughs) and I said, no, you can't have my number. Why do you want my number? Well, they want the number. They will say, well, so we can contact you when your table is ready, you know, or something like, well, but I'm just right there. I mean, you're going to call me? Um, no, the, what, what they're doing is they want to put that into their system so they can track you and advertisers do this because if they know that let's say 80% of their customers are moving along corridor A as opposed to corridor B, they know not to advertise on corridor B. We need to put our billboards all on corridor A. Well, what they did in this film is true. The vote true. The vote was able with the use of cameras on the boxes, you know, the ballot boxes like this, and the camera sees this individual come, and it's 2.36 in the morning, they attach a UDID to that person, and then they follow that person. And it turns out that those people were going to 20, 40, 60, sometimes even 100 ballot boxes, and you see them wearing gloves and shoving loads of ballots into these boxes. Because that's legal. Because everybody votes at two thirty six in the of morning they do. with lots of ballots. Obviously. <laughs> Holy cow. So shoving hundreds. Yes. But on camera. So okay, here's the question. In Atlanta, when the water pipes mysteriously burst, were those boxes of ballots that were under the table not supposed to ever have been seen? Was that a mistake? You know, I don't even recall the incident. Tell us about it. So it was in Atlanta in the middle of the night. They kicked all of the people out. The observers. The observers, uh, you know, the regular people, kicked them out. And then, you know, some of the ballot counters were seen dragging the boxes. And then putting them up. And I wonder, was that an oops moment? Yes, I believe so. Okay. That happened in more than one place. And it's clear that not only that, but they're dumping loads of, you know, if we know, for instance, that, you know, this section of, um, you know, suddenly I can't remember, what's the name of the county where Atlanta is? Oh, Fulton County. Fulton County. If we know um, that, that this section of Fulton County is overwhelmingly Republican, a lot of those ballots started going into dumpsters and things of that nature. And then mysteriously, you know, I mean, think about what happened on election night, and they show you this in the film. A red wave starts sweeping the country. I mean, it's, not only does it does it look like a slam dunk for Trump to win, it appears it's going to be a landslide. Yes. And then suddenly, boom! Stop. All stop. Uh, 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 um, voting stop. Uh, excuse me. Vote counting stops in just about every swing state. And it's six states that they're following. Is uh, I, I may not remember them all, but they're following in two thousand mules. They're. Um, they're in Georgia. They are in Texas. Um, they are in, let's see, uh, Arizona, um, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. And I believe that Biden ends up winning five of those six, even though Trump is ahead in, in, in those states. And so what True the Vote does in this is it wasn't simply they followed a mule. They identified roughly two thousand mules, hence the name 
um, of the movie. And my guess is, to me, I always think of it like a roach. <laughs> I always say to Lori, if you see one, there's a hundred in the walls that you are not seeing. Um, it's not just one roach. We kill that one roach, you know, we're good. The house, no, it means there's others. Uh, if there are 2,000 mules, there are probably 10,000 mules. And they get, they get some of these mules on camera, you know, with their voices changed and, you know, um, you know they're, they're blacked out, but they're telling how this works and what they're doing and how they're paid. Because this is what it looked like on video. This was so weird, is you'll see a car pull up. And again, it's usually between about 2 and 5 a.m that these, these people are, are doing this. You'll see a car pull up or a bicyclist or somebody come and then take out of a duffel bag, you know, a, a bunch of, of ballots and start shoving them in. They're wearing gloves. And the reason they started wearing gloves is because in the state of Arizona, which was one of the contested states, in the state of Arizona, uh, these ballot traffickers, these mules were prosecuted because um, they could identify their finger, their fingerprints. So right after that, they all start wearing gloves, surgical gloves. So they pull up and they're often, you know, wearing masks. In fact, I think they were always wearing masks or have a hood or something like that. So you can't identify them. And then they come up, start shoving them in, take their gloves off, throw it in the trash. And then sometimes you see them turn around and come back and take their phone and take a picture of the ballot box. Now, True the Vote, this was all True the Vote's research that was doing this. Dinesh, the popularizer of their research, he's the one who's getting their research out. What True the Vote discovered was, aha, they're doing this to get paid because the, the, the nonprofit that is paying them, I mean, imagine Fixed Point Foundation, which is a 5013 is a C3. If we were doing this, we would absolutely lose our tax-exempt status. Probably go to jail. But these, they're doing this massively. This was happening all over the place. And so they had to prove to their superiors, we were at all the places you told us to go. Here's a picture of every ballot box we went to. We stuffed them in there. And um, so they begin coupling this with videos of other places. And then, see, not every ballot box has a camera on it. So they, can, they were only able to do it at some of them. And they would tell them to spread out the, you know, the ballots. Don't take all 1,000 of them and shove them into one place. That looks too suspicious. So you'll put 50 here, 50 there, you know, 100 here, you know, this kind of thing. So it was, it was organized and it was widespread. So I... I... Number one, it sounds like door dashing ballot style, you know, because when people deliver our food to our house, take a picture of it, send it on. But the, the bigger question is, okay, so they're funded I by, like that. that's, that's good. you know, an organization who's funding them, who's paying for these people to drop these ballots off. Well, donors, just nice people who are sweet, for, good, <laughs> just lovely humans. They're five hundred one c threes. They're charities, and so people are just giving to this. Um, you know, I don't know that I'm trying to think about in the film, and and I should say I will watch the film again because during the film you have people come up and tap you on the shoulder and say, "Hey, Larry, it's good to see you. It's nice to meet you." Yeah, yeah, and you, you know you start chatting um, to 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 someone during that. Sam Sorbo did that. Kevin Sorbo. You know, did that? How dare you? Um, while I'm trying to watch this film, so I don't recall that they ever mention 
um, the actual donors to these. But I mean, the usual suspects, I'm sure, are funding this in a big way. Okay, wow. All right, so how long is the movie? Like two hours? Uh, it's probably about 90 minutes, Okay. I would guess. And uh, you can watch it online. Um, it's, it's very well done. But I, I, let me just say this. When I went to see the film... I believe that there was massive voter fraud, but I thought mm, Dinesh can't prove it. I mean, that's, you know, my, my son is an attorney and we talk about the, we talked about this an awful lot. That is one thing to know in your bones. It's quite another to, to demonstrate in a, in a court of law beyond all doubt that this is what happened. Um, I think this movie comes about as close as you can come to achieving that because I didn't know anything about the UDIDs. Yeah. I thought they would say, well, we just have a video of some people stuffing ballot boxes, which, of course, looks suspicious, and it looks really, really bad. But coupled with the UDIDs, they then show you a map, and they say, let's, uh, let's show you where Mule 1 went. As soon as he left here, he went to this ballot box, to this ballot box, to this ballot box, to this ballot box, and it just keeps going. And then they said, you know, along the way, he's making these odd stops. So we went to look, where, what is this address that he's going to? It's a Democrat 501c3. Imagine that. That's such a surprise. Yes. He's not stopping and picking up a bagel. Um, he is, um, he's going and picking up more ballots and then going again. And Oh, and by the way, I have to throw this little gem in there. It, it, there's a bomb in the room. Um, <laughs> before we take a break, um, I have to say this. They tracked some of these same people to Antifa riots. So you see, this whole thing is a, it is an, it is an organized mob that are, they're being used to, they're your insta mobs, they're your ballot traffickers, they're your, um, you know, the people who are throwing bricks through your windows and burning your businesses. That's what this is about. And I will guarantee you that if we were to track them, we would find that some of them are standing out on Brett Kavanaugh's lawn you know, right now, protesting Roe v. Wade. I mean, that's what these people do. This is what they do for a living. They're, they're professional disruptors. Wow. All right, so I have a few more questions for you, but we'll take a break, and I'll, I'll save them. All right, perfect. This is the Larry Alex Taunton Show. Larry is my favorite player. All right, so welcome back. A couple of questions before we transition. I've got a, a big one about Roe v. Wade. But do you really think that as far as 2,000 mules go and people becoming more clever as they outsmart what's going on, is, is there really not any hope? Um, you mean to end election fraud? Yeah. Uh, you know, I won't say there's no hope. There is hope because a lot of people are seeing this film. Um, there are millions of Americans who are very concerned about these things and want to do something about it. The hope is in them actually doing something about it. That means voting out uh, those um, politicians who refuse to address it. Uh, it means taking a stand on these it, these issues. That might mean a protest. It might mean a letter to your to your congressmen, your representatives um, locally. You know, a lot of these things are happening at the local level. You know, it, it matters who your uh, attorneys general are. It matters uh, who your election um, officials are. And see, it's important to know that that the left they target these key 
positions, these levers of power that you're not really paying attention to. So it's kind of like we're all part of a homeowners association and, um, you know, 70% of the people want to be left alone. Um, and, you know, you have no interest in beca- becoming the president of the homeowners association, but they do. And suddenly they're, they're, they're slapping down all kind of regulations on you. You're going, wow, how did this happen? I mean, Nobody I know in here, you know, is in, in favor of all this crazy stuff. It's because they've managed to gain the levers of power. And this is what they're doing at the state and local levels. Not just to say the federal levels. This stuff is happening at a local level. And that's where you got to stop it. We need conservatives in these positions. We really do. And so the question is, why does it seem that conservatives, the right, I don't know, it appears to me that we are a step behind. Um, does that... Am yeah. I wrong? Am I off? Um, you know, I have lots of theories about this. One of them is theological, actually. In Luke 16, you have the story of the shrewd manager, if you know that, that story. And it's a very interesting story. I'll leave it to others um, to, um, to go and read that story. But at the end, Jesus, you know, in summing up, you know, the, the meaning of the story, he says, the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the sons of light, meaning... Christians are not, as a rule, as shrewd um, about um, these kinds of machinations that um, unbelievers are. We just aren't. There's an innocence that characterizes most Christians when it comes to these things, so that they're, it's just not the way they're wired. It's not the way they think. And that leads me into to the other reason, and that is that I think that the conservative mindset is generally a mindset that's a kind of a live and let live. You know, I'm not peeking in your windows. I don't really care what car you drive. Um, And, you know, so long as you're not bothering me, um, you stay in your lane, I'll stay in mine, and you do what you want, and I'll do what I want. I think that is generally the conservative mindset. That is not the way the left thinks. The left thinks that I want to control you. I am determined... that, that alone is a wicked mindset, but it's the mindset that says, I want to be in charge so that I can control you. And it's also a mindset of envy. It's driven by jealousy. It's, uh, listen, um, you know, I think it was Rush Limbaugh who said that the feminist movement um, was pioneered by ugly women to get back at pretty women. Um, I, I think there's something in that. I, I think there's there's some truth in that. I think that often some of the people that we're dealing with are people who are bitterly unhappy and are determined to get their revenge on society, the in crowd, you know, the, the popular people, because they weren't part of it. And so we're going to take over, um, you know, these drones who are working at places like Twitter and who are enjoying their immense power to um, suppress what you say and to uh, control you um, as, as a puppeteer, you know, might. These are deeply unhappy uh, um, people with insidious ideas. I just think the average conservative just doesn't think like this. And most of them are fairly naive when it comes to, you know, what a, a film like 2,000 Mules is laying out because they're like, oh, wow, I w- that would never occur to me to do that. I just... Assume I go and vote and I put my my ballot in the box. Right. And look at what they're doing. So speaking of bitterly unhappy people, let's talk for a minute about Roe v. Wade. 
I thought you were going to say Amber Heard. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could talk about her too. Uh, you you pick. Uh, Who do you want to talk about? Uh, let, or Roe v. Wade. Let's hear where you're going with that. Well, I mean, you, you speak about bitterly unhappy people who worship those who are vehemently for abortion, which, you know, worshiping at the altar of death. Yeah. Are losing their minds over what's happened. So how do you see this landscape? Where do you think it's going well, we just saw that the effort to make Roe v. Wade the law of the land was just defeated So, um, at the national level. So there's, there's that effort going on. What, what the left has doesn't seem to yet, at least the, the average leftist you know, on social media doesn't seem to understand, is striking down Roe v. Wade does not make um, abortion illegal nationwide. I wish it did, but it doesn't. What it does is it returns the power to the states to decide what they're going to do um, regarding that. And hence the reason that you have companies like, by the way, Elon Musk's Tesla and Amazon and Disney offering to pay, you know, what are essentially almost vacation packages to go and get you, go on your abortion vacation. You know, you, you need to get an abortion and you're in a state that won't let you get one. We'll fly you to New York. You spent all expense paid, you know. Um, in order for you to do it. So um, the states will have the power and they will target, you know, states um, with the same kind of um, tactics that they've used uh, here. By the way, if you notice that abortion is not a referendum, you know, in other words, they target again, they've always targeted the courts. They've always, the, the left always tries to do an end run on democracy. Uh, if there had been national referendum on gay marriage, it would lose. If there had been a national referendum on abortion, it would be a slam dunk loss for the left on these kinds of issues. So that's not what they want. What they want is to uh, is to radicalize the ju the judiciary and use the judiciary in order to, you know, to get get the laws that they want. In this case, it's it doesn't seem to be working because of Trump's appointees to the federal bench, uh, namely, in this case, uh, the Supreme Court of the United States. But I think that um, where this is going, it's going to go to the states. Um, there will be attempts to, um, uh, to radicalize judiciaries there and um, uh, legislators in those um, states. Furthermore, um, there will be an attempt to, you know, overturn Roe v. Wade again, you know, go back in the, you know, the other direction when, say, a Clarence Thomas, you know, let's say retires um, from the bench and is replaced by someone else. So th this is where I think that it's going. Do you think that they will increase the calls? I mean, you know, you, you think about the court packing and you think about that conversation and you realize how very important it was for Trump to appoint yeah. great judges, um, great justices, rather. Um, do you think that's real? I mean, do you think that we're going to see a push for that or are they going to get obliterated in the midterms? And so that's not going to be an issue right now. Well, wow. Um, I think they'll get obliterated in the midterms if the elections are fair. Mm -hmm. So this comes back to, you know, Good 2000 point. mules because they will cheat like crazy. But do I think that Democrats can win? I don't. And I think they know they can't either. I think they know they have to cheat. They have to cheat in order to get their policies um, in place. People aren't going to vote for lockdowns. People aren't going to vote for masks. There are people, I mean, there are some who will, but those aren't going to win, um, you know, popular elections. That just isn't going to happen. So they have to legislate it. 
um, they have to, um, in, you know, uh, radicalize police to enforce um, the rulings of a, of a radicalized jur- um, judiciary. These are the things that they uh, that they they need to do. But I think they'll get wiped out in the. Um, and by the way, concerning cheating. Did you notice that we are now seeing the Biden administration already trying to to condition um, the American people to get ready for more lockdowns because they're saying that another wave of COVID will hit sometime in the fall? Why do they want that in the fall? They want people locked down so that there have to be mail-in ballots. This is what they did in 2020. They needed people locked down, and they were pushing for mail-in ballots. Joe Biden announced just two days ago, we need mail-in ballots. We need mail-in ballots everywhere because they need them to cheat. Well, and did you hear today that he marked that there were, it was soberly, and it is. I mean, one person dying is too many people dying, but one million deaths, COVID, get ready for the next. I mean, again, today, it is, you're right. It's happening like a wave. They're letting you know we're planning to lock you down come election season that's what they're planning to do and i'm wondering if this time around if americans will submit to it because you're uh you know zachary was telling me that he was in i mean what do you think of as the most liberal city in america i mean just name a few new york los angeles chicago he was in san francisco which has got to be far more liberal even than those yes, cities you're right and he was in San Francisco at a bar um, with some friends when a, just to be clear, it wasn't a strip club or anything like that. I just want to be clear on Zachary's behalf. He's a good boy. But he was at a bar in San Francisco when the announcement came out that, um, you know, the national mask mandate had been st- struck down, by the way, by a Trump judicial appointee. So these things matter. And he said that the the um, the bar owner, who's apparently also the bartender, that he he said drinks on the house, ripped his mask off, the big plastic, you know, the plexiglass thing that they put in front of um, them, that he picked it up and threw it on the ground. Nice. Um, that that everybody in the bar was cheering wildly and taking masks off and all this kind of stuff in San Francisco. So you do meet those people who love and worship, you know, wearing that, that piece of cloth on their face, which the science has yet to demonstrate does anything um, to prevent you from getting COVID, which is an aerosol, you know. So anyway, we can save that discussion for another time. But even in places like that, people are responding extremely negatively. Right. Um, to mask and positively to having that mandate stricken down. So I'll be curious to see how Americans respond to another effort to lock them down. I don't see the state of Alabama, for instance, my state, or a Florida or a Mississippi or some of these other states going for that. I see them going, nope, we're not doing it. We're, we're, we refuse to do that. I, I refuse to do that. I will not be locked down. Now, you, you mentioned off air about the ABS. Yes, this is the. <laughs> this is this is Amy Beth Shaver. Uh, this is her name, Amy Beth Shaver. And uh, you know, when I think of something she doesn't like, I think of you know her initials ABS, which is what pops up on my dashboard um, when I hit the brakes. Um, automatic braking system. So, what is the ABS um, going off for right now? All right, here we go. The face diaper. <laughs> yeah, the face diaper. While you're outside. 
I mean, is this just me? Well, you're outside. Yes. And you see people <laughs> walking around in a face diaper. Yes. I picked up one of our children because she can't drive home from college. Her, her knee, it's a whole thing. We're outside on the river having dinner. And we're with the girls. And we're enjoying it. And all of a sudden, these very very special looking people come through with their face diapers on as you do and sit down at the table. I'm like, what did that do you? You just walked outside, you sat down and then you took your face mask off. Yeah. Because sitting down, you don't get COVID. COVID respects the walk. COVID is at, at about four feet and above. Yeah. Only. Yes. And then they sat down and, and they were the serious face diaper wearers okay. with the double strap. Okay. Okay. That. Do you think people like that double condom? I'm just curious. I, you know, you never I just, know. I mean, because there's the same wonder. people who walk around with the face diaper yeah. in the car while they're by themselves. That's just interesting. Double glove. Double. I mean, double all the things. Yes. We should probably take a survey. Yeah, that would be interesting. Anyway, that's my ABS for this week. I It drives me nuts. It is all I can do not to approach but, the people to say... May we have a conversation? But do you respect their right to do yes, it? Yes, absolutely. You respect their right. Do whatever to you want to do. If you want to do that and look Stay silly, in your lane. you can you can do that. But even for me, I just kind of think, let us suppose that it does put me at risk. They're wearing it. What do they care whether or not I'm wearing it? Because supposedly they're protected. Right. Uh, and if you're if you've been um, you know inoculated, then supposedly you're protected again. So why would you care? But I just don't worship my life to that extent that's right uh, and that's one of the ugly things that's really come out by the way and that runs across political um, boundaries is i've been a little i've been a little embarrassed for the number of men that i've encountered who it feels like I, I'm, I'm not sure i know exactly how to articulate what i'm saying but they their concern for their life is is over the top where I'm going, look, this isn't the bubonic plague. So we know that. This isn't the bubonic plague. Um, the survival rate is 98% and above if you get it. And um, I just don't value my life to that extent. I mean, in other words, I'm not saying I can't get it. And, uh, I, you know, you'll see, if, if I do and I die from it, I'm sure that there will be some left at this magazine that will dunk on me and say, you know, guy who didn't want to wear a mask, you know, dies of COVID. I'm not saying I can't get it or that I can't die from it. I've never been tested right. positive for it, but I just don't worship my life like that. Well, and I think I agree with you also that you're right. You can get it. It's serious. It, it, it's real. However, I think the other thing I noticed with COVID was how many people also may worship their life, but they also are very fearful. Yeah. And, um, trying to talk through that fear like why are you so that's afraid? what i'm talking about yeah the embarrassment i feel for some men i, with I that. just really i struggle with that because you want to talk about it but then there's no reasoning with people who will still double mask and walk in an outdoor restaurant or wear it in their car but don't you th think it shows the power of media yes because you think that people have enough good sense not to be so influenced by um, headlines and by scare tactics. And then you go, the reason the media does this is because it is working. It does right. terrify people. If people knew what dangers they um, are risking every time they get in an automobile, um, every time um, they um, you know, engage in some kind of risky behavior, alcohol, for example, uh, every time they get the flu, they would be likewise terrified. But
but media isn't focusing on that. So when media comes along and, you know, tells them X number of people, and by the way, if you notice also the CDC has changed their data hugely on the number of deaths. Like, for instance, they slashed the number of infant deaths. They tried to do it very quietly about a month ago and reducing, I think, by 50% the number of deaths that they had reported in children. Right. And go, oh, it was just a statistical error. <laughs> well, and it was also interesting when they slashed that statistic that the kids that did die had underlying health issues, which are it's horrifying. But they were forced to get honest about it because people started digging in. And, and I hope that that curiosity would continue. Um, but again, I'm, I'm bothered by the people that I still see wearing the face diaper. Well, it was interesting. I was talking to someone who runs a nursing home and um, she was telling me that all deaths in the nursing home, they had to attribute to COVID. They had to attribute them to COVID. It's like, it's like say, if somebody dies in isolation because they don't see their grandchildren or they don't see their children, they're not allowed to see them, they die of really a broken heart, we have to mark it down as a COVID death. So you can see that the numbers are, are, are rigged. By the way, speaking of the CDC, Going in and out of the country, you have to fill out this form that's a CDC form. And the CDC demands to know your email address and your phone number. And I now know why, because it comes back to this UDID that we were talking about in the first segment. They're using your UDID to see if you are social distancing from other people. You're not even on the plane, but they're tracking where you're going to see whether or not you're, you know, you're going to a ball game, you go into a bar, you go into a concert. Are you social distancing? And that to me is just creepy as hell. They have no right to be doing that. The CDC is an institution that's totally out of control, but that's a, a completely different thing. Let's talk about Amber Heard and, and Johnny Depp. Let's do because it's been on in my house. Has it? Yes, it has. Well, then you can probably correct, you know, some of my my take on it. I'll be curious to know what you think. I am interested in talking about the, uh, you know, Johnny Depp, the, I guess he's an A-list actor. Would you say that? I'd say so. Yeah, and then his his ex-wife, um, a, a crazy woman um, by the name of Amber Heard. Is she A-list or is she a B-lister? I didn't even know her name. Okay, so that makes her a C-lister. I'd say C. <laughs> if you don't know who she is. I've seen her in... Um, I think I think only one movie. I saw her in a movie with Kevin Costner called Three Days to Kill. And um I've seen that. she plays a femme fatale, okay. you know, in uh in in that in that movie. But um what interests me about it is I'm not a Hollywood watcher. I'm the sort of person that if you said, Hey Larry, you know, over your shoulder over there, that's Matt Damon, I would say, Okay. You know, I mean I w I wouldn't cross the room. Now, my wife would quickly um, say, well, you would if I said, hey, Larry, that's Joe Namath. <laughs> I'd go, well, okay, I, I'm going over to say hello to Joe Namath. Right. Um, but I have no interest typically in, you know, in star watching, none whatsoever. And so I haven't watched any of this trial, but what has, has um, percolated to the top that I'm hearing and seeing just through social media about this trial that intrigues me is we have had for, um, I think since probably about 2017, we've had the Me Too movement. And part of the Me Too movement, you'll recall Hillary Clinton saying, believe all women. 
And that was the narrative, believe all women. Um, men could not get a fair hearing at all in these things. And that's because every male was interpreted in the, uh, through the lens of a Harvey Weinstein or a Bill Cosby, you know, drugging women so he could rape them. And, uh, and in between, you had, you know, guys like, you know, let's say a Matt Lauer, you know, or something like that. And who are not getting uh, you know, any kind of fair hearing. And by the way, I do not like him, Al Franken, but Al Franken was mistreated horribly um, by the whole Me Too movement. Uh, conservatives love treating him badly because he's a, you know, he's a crazy leftist. But his story, um, I, think he was, I think he was very mistreated. Anyway, all of this is just by way of saying that what has interested me in the Johnny Depp story is I didn't watch the Oscars either. But I know about the, the slap, you know, um, Will Smith going up and, you know, hitting Chris Rock. And, um, you know, and everybody wanted Will Smith dead in the aftermath of that. But then suddenly a video emerges of his wife, Jada Pinkett Smith, videoing him in his house. And he looks like such a broken man. And he keeps asking her, please stop videoing me. I told you not to videoing me. You're just going to use this for your social media to get hits. You're just using me for your purposes. And he's, he's harassed. And, um, and she's so something wicked about what she's doing. And she puts the camera on her and says, see, see what I'm having to deal with here. And she continues to video him. Suddenly, the opinion public opinion swung in favor of Will Smith. People are going, oh, wow. Will Smith, who seems like such a confident, strong guy, gets up and beats people up on stage. Privately, he seems like a guy who's kind of sweet and, and absolutely dominated by his wife. Now we have, that coupling that with what's going on with Amber Heard and Johnny Depp, is we have the release of audio of Amber Heard um, shouting at him, admitting that she's been hitting him, um, admitting that he isn't hitting her, and her daring him, you go to the media, you go public and say that I hit you and see who believes you. Nobody is going to believe Meaning she's acknowledging where things are with me too. She knows I have power over you, cultural power over you, because in this day and age, no one is going to believe a man against a woman. And so the, the Johnny Depp, um, Will Smith incidents collectively seem to me to maybe signal a watershed moment where people are starting to reevaluate the nature of power, the nature of influence. And I think that's interesting. I think it's fascinating, and I think you are correct. I think until people saw that video of Jada Pinkett filming Will, uh, I watched that and felt broken for him. Yeah. And I was embarrassed. Um, and, and the fact is, she did go put it on her social media. She did. She did. And it is so mean. It is living up to the stereotypical um, power-hungry I don't even know, but I, I thought, great job. Thank you so much. Instead of looking like, here, your husband went to defend you, even though you laughed at what he said, um, and your husband went to defend you. And, oh, by the way, there's allegations of 
an open marriage yes. as well. So what does this all open mean? Open acknowledgments of a, a right? I mean, he's a, he's a cuckold husband. I mean, sure. it's unbelievable. And then you hear Amber Heard's testimony and you think, oh my gosh. So I agree. I'm happy that it's beginning. People's eyes are opened to, from the beginning, you probably knew immediately with the Me Too movement, wait a second. This is, you know, it was exposed when Joe Biden's accuser was not allowed to be heard yes. back during the presidential election. Um, but I'm believe very, all women except for her. Except for her. <laughs> Don't believe her. Um, she doesn't count. But I hope it's a watershed moment because I think that uh, it exposed the worst of us. Um, but it also exposes a desperate need for a foundation and a framework in morality because what does this mean if we don't have a moral framework we know this is wrong but why is it wrong we feel deeply for these men that were bad and you think wait a second i've got to rethink this here well sin nature just is not just in the y chromosome That's right. i mean uh, the you know all human beings are um, you know, we are polluted by sin nature and um, you shouldn't believe all women you shouldn't believe all men um, the the reality is um, that all of us we need accountability um, these things need a fair hearing from both sides and it isn't a case this is this is resulting and we just don't have time to get into this. But this is a result of intersectionality, which divides society into power structures. And thus, um, white people are deemed to be more powerful than black people. In any case, that, that's the way it has to be interpreted. Men are deemed to be more powerful than women. Thus, in any conflict between the two, men are always wrong. White people are always wrong. The employer is always wrong. The, the um, you know... Um, you know, heterosexuals are always wrong when it deals with, with homosexuals. And the, uh, you know, the um, immigrant is uh, always going to be the innocent party in any conflict with, you know, an American citizen. So th it divides society in this kind of way and interprets everything in terms of power structures. And that, by the way, is Marxist. That's Marxism. That's what that is. And so it, it, what has disturbed me is how this is, penetrated the church, um, you know, so that you're seeing a lot of churches, and I don't know, for instance, what all happened, you know, with Bill Hybels or Mark Driscoll or some of these other instances, but what has bothered me in how those things were reported is they began using terminology that's, that's not biblical, that's right. and it was being adjudicated, it was being adjudicated in um, uh, the public. Many Christians, we don't adjudicate. I'm not interested in knowing what the New York Times thinks about a conflict in my church. That's, that's not for them to decide. Uh, uh, Christians are to deal with things amongst themselves. And that's not what, what was happening. You had people in Driscoll's church and at you know, Willow Creek who were all running um, to the media to get them involved. And, of course, you know, they have every reason to want to see the the main guy, you know, being taken down. So I, I've found this stuff to be, you know, unsettling. It's embarrassing as well, especially for people inside of the church. Um, I also think, to the language of Marxism that's being used by people in the church to try to express to them or ask questions of the root of that language. Like, do you even know what you're saying um, when you're talking about the intersectionality and the division? Do you, do you know where that came from? And many times they don't. And so I think that we need to do a better job in the church of 
um, learning history and learning from history and learning what the words matter yeah. and ideas matter. Um, but the division that's been sown, um, is, is very bothersome. I agree. And now we are down to just seconds of this show. Um, what do you have to say? I think that it was an interesting adventure. <laughs> I think that I love your uh, arrival at Mar-a-Lago yes. in the Dodge. And my departure. I, I think that's very, uh, that's like kudos to you for that, <laughs> right? Um, I think that finding a turtle on my way here, also interesting. I mean, it's riveting, right? Uh, and face diapers. Thank God they're mostly gone. Yes, I am very grateful that they are uh, mostly gone and they need they need to be gone. And um, listen, it has been a great show and uh, it's been great to have you here um, to talk about these things with. Hey, thanks for having me. Everybody, thank you for watching the Larry Alex Taunton show. Stay tuned. You know what? Hold on. I, I can't forget. I'm going to do this really fast. You can find <laughs> us on Podbean, right? Yes. You can find us on Apple Podcast. Give us a five-star rating. <laughs> you can find us on YouTube, Rumble. Give us a five-star. Tell your friends. You know you want to. Stay tuned. See us next time. Turn out the lights. The party's over. <laughs> they say that all. Ladies and gentlemen, we are grateful for the standing ovation, but there will be no encore for today's performance. Please exit the building in an orderly fashion. Thank you. Honey, can we leave now?